Welcome to the Podcast Leadership Forum, a conversation with leaders who serve the public good. My name is Trevor Brown, and I'm privileged to serve as Dean of the John Glenn College of Public Affairs at The Ohio State University, where we aspire to fulfill a simple phrase that Senator John Glenn used to describe what we do, inspire citizenship and develop leadership. I also have the honor of serving as the host of this conversation series, so welcome to a thoughtful and reflective conversation about leadership. I'm joined today by Ellie Valentine, who currently serves as the chief of party of Winrock International in Central Asia, uh, an organization dedicated to preventing regional uh, trafficking of human persons across the area. Uh, Ellie is the definition of wanderlust. Uh, I have worked with Ellie myself, little truth in advertising. Ellie and I are good friends, and I started my relationship with Ellie in uh, Kiev, Ukraine, um, after she had spent time in Poland. Uh, but after Ukraine, Ellie has gone on to many parts of the former Soviet Union, including the Stans, um, Bangladesh, and other countries far afield in two principal roles. One in serving as a chief of party of what are referred to as legislative strengthening programs, helping uh, legislatures around the world navigate the transition towards operating as democratic uh, parliamentary bodies. Uh, and then second, as chief of party for uh, counter-trafficking programs like the one that she's running now for, for Winrock. So Ellie has been involved in, in managing um, distributed organizations in which uh, the, the central office is usually located somewhere in the United States, uh, but she's running the office that is operating uh, far afield. Um, so as we all navigate the virtual world, Ellie's been doing it for decades um, across time zones and geographic boundaries. Um, but she's also been working in contexts where um, her role as a female leader uh, is often novel um, and new. Uh, many of these uh, are places where women have not often been in charge of organizations. So as we venture into this conversation, I'm eager to seek her thoughts on, on what she's learned in those contexts. So Ellie, thanks for joining me for a conversation about your, your leadership. Thanks for having me, Trevor. Good to see so, you. It's good to see you. It's been too long. You've been doing this for a long time all over the world. In many of the places you've worked in, you've started as an outsider. What are some of the strategies you've developed for building trust and credibility with those you serve, but also those you manage and lead? Because you're often working with people from those contexts. The word that I would put to that is respect. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that you have to start from a position of respect. Respect for um, the cultural environment in which you are going to be working, um, understanding that cultural environment. So, um, you know, in, in, in some ways, you know, I sort of try to do a deep dive into what is, what is the history and culture of the country where I'm going to be working. And I think that sort of mitigates some of that outsiderness. Um, early on, I mean, it was also learning the language. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly, um, certainly I, I went to Ukraine knowing some Slavic languages, but not Ukrainian. But I found that by learning Ukrainian, that really opened doors. But it not only opened doors for me, but it opened my mind to understanding the cultural, um, the cultural nuances and, and specifics of, of, of Ukrainian culture. So I think 
you know, reading, watching films, going to the theater, um, you know, music and, and contemporary performance, whether it's visual arts or performing arts, um, cuisine. I was about to say, I, Definitely. I, think, I don't know if it was written into your first contract with our project, but I do remember our boss was like, hey, find, find some good restaurants while you're at it, Ellie. And, and didn't we, though? You did. You did an exceptional job. Um, so, you know, I think, I think, you know, all kidding aside, understanding, yep. um, those, those, the, that deep dive into the, into the cultural, um, and, and historical meat of the country that you're working in also provides you with legitimate and sincere opportunities to have genuine conversations with people about that. You know, it's not just sort of surface. But it also helps you understand what, how problems have evolved mm -hmm. and how solutions to those problems might be, you know, specifically tailored to those cultural contexts. And I think, I think you know, if, if what, what helped us to be successful in, in art and in the project that we worked on together in Ukraine was both understanding that cultural context, yeah. providing, providing, you know, um, international best experience or, or comparative experience for them to to learn from but providing it in ukrainian so that they could have discussions among themselves in ukrainian with us and and come up with their own solutions um that were that would work in ukraine and and um you know i think that was that was really that was really important um actually let me just let me just underline yeah. that because i think that's so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm actually curious so this is for for those listening, Ellie and I worked on a legislative strengthening program together um, that started in 1994 and ran through 2013. And Ellie was chief of party at two periods during that time, both at the dawn of the program and, and towards the, the end of it. And I think one of the hallmarks of that program was, just as you described, we, we listened to the, or the unit we were serving um, and we tried to provide the world's experience rather than impose the right answer, i.e., here's what the United States does, replicate it. I'm, I'm curious if that's been a strategy you've used in other contexts, and has that proved successful? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I, I think, um, you know, pretty much everywhere, everywhere I work, first of all, you have the, the incredible honor and privilege of working with really talented people, um, and bringing a team together that um, is both diverse in its perspective on, on and looking at problems, but also yep. able to to brainstorm together to 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 really um, you know debate issues uh, to not be accepting of you know just you know oh you know yes sir that's what I you know that's what we're going to do no but to really question question authority um, question the 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 reliability. Um, question the outcome. You know, so so often we would we would see things that would say, you know, well, we should try this. And somebody would say, well, yeah, you know, they wrote that law in, you know, 1974, but how was it implemented? Right. I mean, what were the problems that came out of it? Yeah. Um, what were the disputes subsequent to that, to to that statute? And and then, you know, you could really think about um what was going to happen, what was going to happen in the future. So um, I think that was, you know, that that was there was a lesson um, that we learned together 
um, in the in the parliamentary development project in in Ukraine, but it's certainly a modus operandi that I took with me to almost all of my other other work abroad as well. Yeah. So you and I I, I witnessed this. We we work together, um, but I've also heard and can imagine that this um, is an experience you've had in other contexts. You you were often um, in some cases the first woman to be in a leadership role where the people reporting to you um, were not. That was just not something they'd ever had that experience before, and they came from cultures where where women often weren't in managerial or leadership roles. Um, and I'm imagining that that's that's occurred in some of the other places you've been. What are some of the strategies that you've employed? Or actually, let's before we get to strategies, what what has that experience been been like? Um, and and what are some of the challenges that that you faced in in those contexts? You know, so I look at women's leadership as as um, you know more a question of um, accepting. Um, accepting someone, anyone as a leader. And, you know, it might be, it might be someone who's very young, but very, you know, very competent, but if they're competent, then they gain the trust and, 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 and um, uh, respect of, of, of their team. I believe that one of the, (laughs) um, you know, one of the, the key attributes of, of, of good leadership is listening. And I, I, I think I've always gone into um, a, a situation of where I have had to take on the responsibilities of leadership. And I've often had to do it after somebody else has failed, <laughs> um, unfortunately. Um, so it, it, it often has involved understanding why that failed. And so that meant listening and it mm-hmm. meant um, again, you know, having done the deep dive into the cultural circumstances that that team is working in, um, and be, to be able to then evolve with the team um, to 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 their needs. Now, being a woman, for example, in Pakistan, mm-hmm. um, I was very concerned about it, and I thought, you know, that it would be a huge challenge. Although, you know, we know that historically Pakistan was the first Islamic country to have a woman, a woman yep. leader, political leader. But what I found was that I could, I could go one on one with male counterparts, and they would respect me for the position that I held, and they would respect that I was the leader of that of of that particular project. And it allowed me an entree to work with women that I would not have had if I were a man. Mm-hmm. So it really, it really was a bonus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and that was something that was similarly in, in Bangladesh, um, in Yemen. Um, I, I, I think I've also felt a, a similar, um, a, a similar type of relationship that absolutely I could I could garner the respect of male colleagues, but I had also that that opportunity to have a special relationship with women colleagues that I might not have had if I if I if I had been a man in that position. So let's let's use that to pivot to the work you're doing now, the important work of preventing the trafficking of humans, often often women 
what what are in the you can limit it to the region you're in, but you've had this experience, as you said earlier, across various contexts. What are the primary drivers of human trafficking? What 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 are the causal factors that make it occur? It's it's really interesting because we just had a very long discussion about this today with some of our researchers um, who are doing studies on vulnerability and the lack of economic opportunity has has always been a driver of um, persons pursuing opportunities outside of their home environment. Mm -hmm. And by pursuing those opportunities, perhaps with the skills, perhaps not with the skills, perhaps um, you know, with, without knowing what the legal requirements are, puts them at risks and, and make them vulnerable to, to the scams of traffickers. Um, but you know, um, also, um, especially when we were working in Ukraine in the 2000s and it was, you know, domestic violence was, was certainly a push factor um, that continues to be, to be an issue of um, uh, situations where um, women especially are, are not respected in their home. And so they look to, to, to seek opportunities outside the home that could be either domestically within their own country or internationally. Um, conflict situations. So right now, many of the organizations that we worked with in Ukraine, and I, I want to give them credo because they are, have been doing this work for more than 20 years and they're still yeah. doing it. And they're facing especially difficult situations now to keep people safe um, and especially uh, all of these women and children who are um, exiting Ukraine into countries where they're not familiar with the um, with the with the country culture, the language, the the economic opportunities, the laws um, that they become vulnerable to someone scamming them um, or manipulating them or um, abusing them and exploiting them. And so, um, anyone can be can be open to to exploitation. And unfortunately, you know, traffickers are always one step ahead. Mm-hmm. And we're we're finding now that we have um, a, a lot of people, both in South Asia, but also now also in in Central Asia, um, and I'm sure in other places um, that are being recruited um, in, uh, on the face to um, be involved in you know, internet transactions. Uh, but once they get to the destination that they've been recruited to, um, they're forced into cybercrime. So, um, and, and usually um, limited freedom of movement from where they've been brought, that creates a, a, a vulnerability. They often can find a way out if they know that there are places that they can turn to, to for help. And, I, and that's one of the things that we do. Yeah, I was going to ask, we, but lay out what, what do you do and yeah, what are the so, things that have so been especially our, our Yeah, especially our, our, our um, NGO partners um, do a lot of pre what we call pre-departure orientation for labor migrants who are considering going abroad, making sure that they have contracts, making sure that they know who's in hiring them. Um, Also that we're on the policy level, we're trying to get um, recruitment, labor recruitment agencies to have employer paid fees rather than employee paid fees so that a a laborer doesn't go already in debt bondage um, to a country and then can be um, exploited or manipulated by the employer. Um, So, you know, um, it, increasing their um, their knowledge about the environment that they are, the destination that they're planning on going to um, as a migrant, whether student 
could also be, you know, it could be a student, could be a laborer uh, or, or even a tourist. What we try to do at a policy level, as I mentioned, you know, trying to, to um, make sure that, that um, or companies are adhering to fair labor practices and, and not um, participating in, in forced labor practices, um, but also that um, laws that are passed have teeth and are, that the criminal justice actors are able to pursue cases um, and, and it's very hard because it's usually they're transnational crimes. It's expensive to investigate. It's difficult, um, you know, across cultures to, to trade evidence. Um, there are mechanisms for mutual legal assistance. There's mechanisms for transnational referral mechanisms of survivors so that they get the psychological, medical, or legal assistance that can help them to um, both to, to re- revive and rehabilitate once they're repatriated, um, but hopefully also to um, help in the in the investigation and, and criminal um, proceedings against the perpetrators. So it's difficult. It's, I, it's a complex problem. I was about to say, sounds complex. So, so now I'm going to ask you to that end, I'm going to ask you a question I asked you before, although I asked you at the individual level, now I want to ask you at the organizational level. So I asked you about sort of how you personally have approached working in a context where you're the outsider well, here, your organization is the outsider in the sense that you gave us the, the background. It's a U.S.-based NGO. It's funded by USAID, the U.S. Agency for International Development. And you're working in this very complex, sensitive um, context in which people um, have lost trust. They, they, they're, they've been trafficked or they're fearing mm-hmm. this. How, how, do you, how have you positioned your organization to be a credible, respected actor? Yeah, um, that's that's a really interesting question, Trevor, because I think it it has to do with um, with building the partnerships with local mm-hmm. counterparts. Yep. So building partnerships with the NGO community, um, helping them to to be um, on top of the trends and and developments in the field. Um, but also to again listen to them. What is what is what? Where are the areas that you need capacity strengthening? What what new things do you need to learn? What new resources do you need to have? What new tools do we need to develop together? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so most of the time, the 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 interventions that we have come through those local partners, whether they're yeah. NGOs or government partners. We have some very strong government partners. Um, that are are um, uh, you know introducing innovation um, and um, really embracing um, the opportunities to 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 innovate and to um, apply the knowledge that they're learning. We just had a meeting last week in in the capital of of um, of Kazakhstan, Astana, and and a young. Um, a young civil servant from the Ministry of Social Protection had been at a um, a presentation of some draft guidelines that we had developed, and we had we had we had issued the draft because we wanted feedback. And he said in the in the meeting, he's, and this was about two weeks afterwards. He said in the meeting, he said, "Yeah, I took that, I scanned it, I sent it to all my all my guys on <laughs> all the regions. They're already using it." And we said, "But you know." Mahmoud, they're, they're, those are draft. It was. He said, "But they need it. They need it now." This, you know. So, I mean, to have people like that who are so enthusiastic 
is yeah. just, I mean, it's just really rewarding and it, and it just, you know, that's what, that's what keeps you going is, is that kind of level of enthusiasm and, 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 um, you know, readiness to, to, to do something different and to be able to be open to those, those, those opportunities that, you know, again, we don't, we don't come with the, with the answers. Yeah. Um, but, but thanks to, to USAID, thanks to the American people, the American taxpayer, um, you know, we're, we're able to provide some of the resources that they might not otherwise have to, 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 to pursue some of those innovations and some of those interventions. Well, as we, we pull this really interesting conversation to a close, I want you to come, we'll come back to a personal question to you. Um, and, and I want you to be thinking of advice you'd give to young people who are starting their career and, and perhaps have some wanderlust like, like you did. And, and your line, like most people's line, was not a straight line. You were trained as a librarian um, and you spoke some Polish. And then all of a sudden you're in Ukraine running a legislative strengthening program. Um, and now you're you're doing something where obviously I can see the connections, but it's not as if like, oh yeah, this thing leads to that thing. Um, what's your your advice and guidance to to young people who are embarking on what they hope to be an engaging journey that's adding value when you don't know where that that line's going to take you? And you don't, you don't ever. And and you know, I I and thanks for um, mentioning. I mean, I I think that you know any training can prepare you for that profession um i you know i was trained in 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 library science i've never worked in a library but i use all of those tools of librarianship in everything i do um you know whether it's citizen access to information or it's innovation or it's management, you know, it, it, it really doesn't matter. So I think you have to, first of all, not define yourself by your degree or, you know, say, okay, you know, I, I, that's what I did. So that's what I'm going to do um, to be absolutely open to, to opportunities and to see beyond, um, you know, the, the obvious to, to stretch yourself out of, out of, out of that, out of that comfort zone and to be vulnerable. Um, you know, we talk about the vulnerability of people, um, to trafficking, but, you know, vulnerability is also about being able to be open and to make mistakes and yeah. to, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes you, you, you pursue something and, and it, it doesn't work. Um, but, Sometimes you do, and it's it's absolutely amazing and so rewarding. And you know, you look back. I I look back and I see, um, you know, the people that we've worked with who have accomplished so much. Um, and you know, I feel so proud to have had the opportunity to have worked with them and to be able to call them my friends today. Um, and and I think that's just a treasure to be able to have to have, um, you know, that, that cadre of, of, um, of people that you can depend on and, you know, hopefully they can depend on me as well. Um, and we, you know, we move forward together with better understanding of each, of each other and, um, what the possibilities are in our world. And, you know, it might be a little, you know, Pollyannish, but I, I really do believe that, you know, with with a greater understanding of the diversity um, of the world, but also of our commonalities, um, that we can all have, um, you know, quality, quality futures together.